I want to preach a message called Hidden in Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's something that I feel like the Lord has been whispering to our church for a little while now, the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> Started with me when we were in Africa. Uh, Lord gave me a word of knowledge in the church, told me I'm going to heal backs because I want people to move forward into the the future I have for them, and there's too many people in the church who are anchored to their past. So I'm going to heal backs as a physical sign of that spiritual truth, and we called for that, and there was a significant amount of healing. Back, backs got healed. Spectacular, actually. And um, so I came back. I was just celebrating. Yay, God, look at that. And then I, I got back here the first week, and then I felt like the Lord said, that's for, that's for Northlands as well. So we did that, and we called for backs to get healed, and a couple of people's backs got healed, and we did it again last week, and a couple more people's backs got healed, and it's been a party. Right, And so I was like, ooh, that's kind of nice. There's, some, there's a word in the spirit, in the atmosphere, that God is calling us to step into a future to let go of a past. And so I want to just play with that idea a little bit this morning. I, I, I need us to learn to put off the old and to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to embrace the new. I'm hoping that this sermon will enable you to take some steps forward into the next step of your life for the next adventure for the calling of God and that you'd be able to put some of the past behind you. As believers, I found that we are typically more focused backwards. That is to say, we apply the truth about Jesus' redemption to our pasts more than to our future. We remember that we were freed from our bondages and cleansed from our sins and ch changed from our former selves. We've been born again. These are all very valid and beautiful and true realities, but there's not just a past that you were redeemed from. There is a future that you've been called to. And I realize that I've heard and I've preached more messages about the past that you were set free from than the future you've been called to. And I want to fix that today. So let's look at where we are now and where we are headed. And let's apply the beautiful work of the cross to a future. We've become new creations and we're secure in God's favor. And we've been called as God's grown up children. So what now? What are the expectations that are valid as we look to a future? I was thinking about the woman who was caught in adultery and they brought her to Jesus. And I'm, I don't know, but I, I'm assuming she wasn't very well dressed. I think they caught her and, they, and I think she grabbed whatever she was. And she was, semi, she was obviously embarrassed and she was obviously just humiliated by the crowd and they had brought her to Jesus. It was a setup of note and they brought her to Jesus and they said, now Moses said we should stone this woman. She was un, unequivocally caught in the act. Where's the guy she was caught? with? We don't know. Uh, so, so, so he's free, but she's the, the bad one, right? So they bring her and Jesus writes on the ground. And you know the story, Jesus says, if you, if you, okay. He goes, no, no, I understand what Moses said. Um, if any of you has never sinned, you, you should go ahead and throw the first stone. And interestingly enough, it says the older people left first. Because when you've had a few years on your life, you, 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 you tend to be a little less open to pulling out the judgment six gun because you've failed a little in your own life. And so he says the oldest ones dropped their rocks first and walked away until there was no one left but Jesus and the lady. And Jesus looked up and said to her, where are those who wanted to condemn you? And she said, there's no one left, Lord. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Now don't go and do this again. He released freedom from condemnation before he told her to stop sinning. 
I don't condemn you. Stop this. Right? That was the order. Now here's my question. Because I wonder about this. Ten years later, was she still known as that was the woman who's the adulterer, who Jesus led off? Was that still her moniker? Because I think that that's not all Jesus had in mind for her. I think, this is Haswell's dream, is that ten years after that, this lady, who from that moment of encounter with Jesus has transformed her life, she's no longer living like that. She has become somebody that she always wanted to be. That she's put it behind her, those mistakes. And out of that freedom from condemnation and that release from Jesus, she has become the woman who she was supposed to be. And she's a productive member of society, celebrated, even beloved by her husband and her children and celebrated in the community. That, I think, is the dream that I have. What I suspect for most believers is that they live in, oh, the, the humiliation of their past. Oh, that's him. He's the guy who did that thing. Remember? And we, we, it's almost like we walk into a future dragging the past mistakes. Oh, we know we've been forgiven for that, but we still drag it around. The shame sort of comes with us. And I want to say to you, friends, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than you were forgiven for your sins. It has to break something in you. It has to shake off a new mind so that you can embrace a new life. You can walk free and boldly into a future that God dreamed for you. Because this gospel, Paul said, is the power of God for my salvation from the very first to the very last. Because if all the finished work of the cross did for you in your life was to forgive you and you drag around that old you, then you haven't fully understood what it's about. We have to go beyond the past. We have to let go of it and step into a different world. A world where you're defined by grace and not by the old. I want to tell you a story of the story of Jacob, I have so many scripture, I'm not going to read it all, but I wanted to tell you the story of Jacob a little bit so that we can catch up something. Isaac and Rebecca are childless. Isaac prays for Rebecca. She gets pregnant. She has a difficult pregnancy because these two boys are fighting all day long in her womb. And she goes to the Lord and she goes, what is going on? And... Uh, I forgot, you had a word. I'm gonna hit pause. Come give that word. There's a, there was a word for fathers and I'm sorry, I just completely forgot about it. Go Ryan. I suddenly looked at Ryan and realized I'd forgotten about the word. Ryan, Ryan during worship, he said, I this felt one. like there was a word and I felt like it was, it was appropriate. That's why I want him to share it. Okay. <laughs> you guys, I'm giving it. Um, yeah, so during worship, I felt like there's a, there's a call from the Lord for the fathers of the house to start using their voices to speak up, use their voices in their house, in their communities, in the workplace. And uh, I felt like the Lord was just going to give a boldness for this. And throughout, through this boldness, there's going to be an amplification of the voice. So, you know, when, when we begin to use our voice more and more in, our, in the house, in the workplace, in our community then our voice is going to um, amplify in those areas um, supernaturally from the Lord. So, Very yeah. cool. Amen. Thank you. 
That was in case there are any fathers sitting there saying, I don't know what this sermon means for me. What, what should I be doing? That's what you should be doing. <laughs> Story of Jacob. Jacob uh, and, and, and Rebecca is, is these two kids and they're fighting in a womb. She goes to the Lord and she goes, what is going on? There's a war going on in my womb. And the Lord said, there are two nations in your womb. You've got two sons and they're going to be at war and the older one is going to serve the younger one. And so when the time comes uh, for, for the birth, uh, the first little boy is born and he's very hairy, full of red hair. And they call him Esau, which means hairy. And, uh, but he, when he's born, uh, as he comes out of the womb, his brother is holding on to his ankle. So they call him ankle grabber. This is the name, it literally means. And, but it's also a Jewish idiom for someone who's deceptive. Right? So that's Jacob, the ankle grabber the deceptive one, and his brother, Harry. Uh, and uh, they grow up. Now, uh, Harry is a man's man, a rough and tough, you know, just take things down. And uh, Isaac just loves his boy. Man, he, he's a hunter, and he, he's out. And Jacob is uh, a more effeminate kind of guy. He's, he hangs around the tents of the woman, basically is, is the way the Bible euphemistically says that. And uh, <clears throat> it's time, one day, as you know the story, Esau comes in from the field, he hasn't caught anything, and he's desperately hungry, and Jacob has cooked up a, a stew, and he says, give me some of the stew, and he goes, no, I'll only give you some if you sell me your birthright. And so he does, he sells his birthright, because what's the birthright to me, I'm going to die, and he eats the food. And so technically, Jacob has taken the birthright of the firstborn son. And then later on, we pick up the story there in Genesis 27, where uh, Isaac says to Esau, Isaac has gone blind, he's old and he's gone blind, and he says to Esau, listen, I think it's almost my time. Go out, hunt, kill me something. I love the wild game you bring. Cook me my favorite meal, and then I'll eat it, and then I'll bless you. I'll give you the blessing of the eldest son. So that, Esau runs out to go hunting. Now, <clears throat> Rebecca has been listening at the tent. She runs to Jacob. She says, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. You're gonna go and pretend to be your brother, He's going to bless you. And, he, and Jacob says, listen, that may not be such a great plan, mom, because if dad finds out I'm Jacob, he's going to end up blessing me. He's going to end up cursing me. And they say, I, that man walks with God, and I don't want to mess with him. And she says, no, no, don't worry. So they get animal skins that are very hairy, and they tie them around his arm, and they put them on his neck. And they put one of Esau's jackets on him so he smells like the countryside. And mom cooks up a meal from one of the ewes of the flock and they take it in. And he goes, Dad. He goes, who's that? And he goes, it's Esau, your son. He goes, you sound like Jacob. He goes, no, it's me, Dad. <laughs> and so he says, come here. And he feels his arm and he's hairy. He goes, this, these are the hands of Esau, but it's the voice of Jacob. He goes, no, it's me, Dad. And he goes, are you sure you? Because, yes. And he says, come a little closer, bring me some of the stew. And he says, come here and kiss me. And he puts his hand and he feels the, on the neck and he smells the, and he goes, this is Esau. And so he blesses him. And he blesses him with the blessings. And he calls down the blessing of the firstborn son and the, the blessing of primogeniture. And he just blesses him. And so we go through all of this. Um, let me just get to the end of it. And... Uh, Verse uh, 27. So he went to him and kissed him, and Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, and he blessed him. And he said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. And then 
he gets the blessing and he leaves. And just as he leaves, Esau comes back, cooks a meal, goes into his dad and says, Dad, I'm ready. He says, who are you? Because I'm Esau. He goes, well, who was that I just blessed? And he said, that's my sneaky brother. It's the second time he stole my birthright from me. Now he's stolen the blessing from me. And he said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. So uh, he runs away to his uncle Laban to get away from his brother. What is intriguing to me about this whole story, if you read the story of Isaac and Rebekah, is that it's a dysfunctional family. Because they go, there's a famine and they go to the Philistines and um, Isaac says that Rebecca's his sister because he's scared. He, she's a pretty woman and he thinks they're going to kill me to take her as their wife. So he just lies about it. He just hangs her out to dry. Until uh, Abimelech, the king, sees them kissing and he goes, hey, you don't kiss your sister like that, buddy. You know, what is going on here? Because she's actually your wife. And he goes, yeah, no, that's true. And so then he says, okay, nobody's allowed to touch them. And, but I wonder about whether that didn't start something in her mind. You just, can, for your convenience, you let, you, you let me out to dry. So time comes, she, she works with her son to deceive her husband. And then when Esau wants to kill Jacob, she goes back to, to Isaac and says, you know, because Esau had married two Hittite women and they, were, uh, they just really were paying. And they weren't of Israel. And so they weren't, they weren't daughters of the promise. And so it, it was never going to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Because Esau had broken the covenant of God. So it had to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? And so God changes the family line. And, the, and Isaac recognizes this, that Esau can no longer be the one. And so she goes to him and plays on that and says, you know, I, I need to send Jacob away. He needs to go get a, a wife from our people. And he goes, okay. And he blesses, he blesses Jacob to go. This is for free. It just struck me. Even in dysfunctional families, the presence of God can make a difference. Okay. You don't have to be a perfect family, which is such good news. But Isaac felt what he thought were Esau's hands and he smelled Esau's clothing and he hugged Esau's neck and then he blessed Jacob who was hiding in Esau. The blessing that was due to Esau was conferred on Jacob and could not be reversed. And the full rights of the eldest's beloved son were given to the younger son because he identified as the older son. So it is with Christ. Those who identify themselves in Jesus are blessed with the full blessing of the senior son. All the promises that are due to the elder come upon us if you are in Christ. For every promise that God ever made has yes stamped on it if you are in Jesus. Every spiritual blessing that was set aside by and for Jesus has now become your rights. Every ounce of favor, every shared joy, the delight of God our Father, the celebration of heaven, the weapons, the armor, the robes, the authority, the throne, the right of command, what the New Testament called the full rights of the Son are all ours in Christ Jesus. They became yours when you were submerged into Jesus. You were baptized in Him and you became clothed with Him. Amen. Amen. 
Now heaven recognizes you in him and therefore every door that his name opens flies open to you. And every knee that is commanded to bow to him must bow to those who've given their lives over in submission to him. This is what Calvin said. Jacob, the younger brother, is blessed in the person of the elder. The garments which were borrowed from his brother breathe an odor grateful and pleasant to his father. In the same manner, we are blessed as Ambrose teaches, when in the name of Christ, we enter the presence of our heavenly Father, we receive from him the robe of righteousness, which by its odor procures his favor. In short, we are thus blessed when we are put in his place. Let's talk a little bit about our story. That was the story of Jacob. Blessed with the older brother's blessing because he hid himself in his older brother. Our story is somewhat similar, but unlike Isaac, who was blind and deceived, in the great story of our lives in Christ, our father is not blind, but he sees all. This was not an act of deception, but this was a magnificent act of God's grace that when he saw all of my sins, those same eyes that looked upon all of my sins looked upon the punishment for all of my sins as his son bore them on the cross. And then in the final act of propitiation, when all our sins had been paid for, the father looked away from his own son and rejected him because of our sin. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the righteous requirements of the law have therefore been fully met in you because you believe, not because you were perfect. Amen. This is not the deception. This is an amazing grace of a willing sacrifice on our behalf. It covers us and it hides us in Christ. God did not look away. But he looked upon you. And now you and I live in a state where our lives are hidden in God with Christ. Let's go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is this amazing chapter because he juxtaposes that what, what exists, what is true, and what is a command because of that truth. So there's, there's this play in, the, in Colossians 3 of the two tenses in the Greek. There's the imperative tense, which is a command, and the indicative tense, which is the dem, the, just a statement of what is true. And so he says, this happens to be true, and because that's true, this is what you should do about it. And so he says here in Colossians 2, set your minds, this is a command, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because this is true. For you died, and your life, is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. You, right now, if you're in Christ Jesus, are hidden with Christ in God. This hiddenness in Christ is a big deal. Not only for the forgiveness of sins and from the hiding us from the enemy and the authority of the enemy, but additionally, and the far less celebrated reality or preached about reality, is that now we are able to walk in the authority of Jesus. We have been called to a grand inheritance. It's not only the freedom purchased from our old lives, but authority to master our new ones. It's not only freedom purchased from our old lives, but authority given to master our new ones. 
Because we're clothed with Christ, we all attained beloved son status of the firstborn, blessings of a double portion, the assignment of authority to speak on behalf of the family. Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, the new modern versions and get nervous about you can't be sons. We have to say sons and daughters. No, but, but you, miss the, you miss what this is saying. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there is neither. Therefore, you are clothed with Christ. And because you're clothed with Christ, there's not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, because you've all become one in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. And He is the firstborn Son. We're all sons with full rights, with requisite authority. There's nothing God has withheld from you now that you're recognized as sons in Jesus and you've clothed yourselves with Jesus. You say, how did I clothe myself with Jesus? You believed and you were baptized by the Holy Spirit into His body. Now the stratifications of nationality, wealth, age, sex, societal hierarchy are all removed because you believed in Jesus. And when we did, we were hidden, wrapped up in Him. Galatians 4. When the appropriate time had come, God sent out His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're also an heir through God. Now that... Verse where it says that we may be adopted as sons with full rights is the Greek term hustesia. Keith sent me a thing about a month ago about this. How fascinating. Hustesia. A legal technical term for adoption to a son with full rights. Many of the emperors, Marcus Aurelius, was adopted. He wasn't the next, he wasn't the son in line because the emperor had a couple of kids. He looked at them and go, I, I can't give them power. So he adopted somebody. And this is common in Rome. This was a common practice. It wasn't necessarily that your, 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 your kids were necessarily the right ones. You found somebody. And very often the, the, the Caesars were adopted. But when you adopted that person, you brought them into the family and you conferred upon them this husthesia. Husthesia means, huios uh, is, is the Greek word for sons and the, the, the thesia means the making of a son. You brought this person in, you adopted them if, you, if they were outside of your family. You adopted them in the Roman concept into your family and you gave them the full rights. You said, this is my heir. They have the full rights over my kingdom. In, a, in, the, in the Hebrew, the, this idea of hustesia usually happened at a, a, a celebration around about 30. This is my beloved son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Remind you of anything? This is the one that I love. This one speaks for me. He has authority. He has the right to, to, 
enter into legal contracts. He has the right to speak for our family. He has the responsibility and the authority to command and to speak and to release. The legal aspect, and it's not gender specific. By birthright, the firstborn son inherited the leadership of the family and the judicial authority of his father. Deuteronomy 21 said he was entitled to a double portion of the paternal inheritance. And you've been hidden in Jesus, the firstborn son, adopted and eternally embraced with judicial authority. There is nothing that Jesus accomplished that's withheld from us who have a vital relationship with him. And when you keep in step with him, you can walk just like he walked. So we are no longer minors. We're no longer just little children. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer those who were embarrassed and disgraced and so, so are left on the outside. That idea, that reality, which for many Christians I believe is still the reality, that does not exist in the scripture. That's not what you were called to. And that's not the proclamation of this gospel. The gospel is not, you're forgiven from your past. Now you ugly thing, you better work hard because God's a little bit ticked with you. Don't you dare do it again. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God not only wiped your past and forgave you, but he's given you a brand new something in your heart. And because you are his child, he sent the spirit of his son into your heart so you can be empowered. Why? To, to just break free of the old. No, to walk into the glorious new. In the Greek culture, a boy was under his father's care until he, from about seven to about 18. And when he was 18, he, they would take him into the town square and he would be adopted into one of the, he was called a cadet, an ephobos. And, he, and for, he was under the direction of the state for about two years. But they would bring him into a clan and they would have a massive festival and they would declare, now he's a man. Now he speaks for us. Under Roman law, it was usually about from 14 to 17 when they took the, the child's toga off and they gave him uh, a, a, a toga virilis, which was the plain toga that adults wore. Usually they take him down to the thing with all his friends that cut his hair off and say, you're no longer a kid now. Get rid of all this long flowing stuff. You're now a man. The scripture says you're no longer a child. You're no longer on the outside. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer under guardians. You're a grown-up son. Galatians 3. Before this faith came, we were held in custody under the law, being kept as prisoners until the coming faith was to be revealed. Thus the law had become our guardian until Christ so that we could be declared righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Galatians 4. Now I mean that the heir, as long as he's a minor, is no different from a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. You used to be a slave, an outsider, someone on the outside because of the law, and the law kept you under scrutiny, and the law said you have fallen short. And that shortfall always kept you on the outside. 
But that, the Bible says, is over because when you came into Christ, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart and you are now led by the Spirit of God, no longer by the letter that's written outside, but now by the Spirit who lives on the inside of you. And you have been emancipated from the law and you have an entirely new life. And the Spirit of God will bring you incredible freedom on the inside as long as you walk with Him. So shake off that law and the nagging self-righteous people and embrace the newfound freedom that is yours in Christ, which is nowhere better to be found but under the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. Because where the Spirit is Lord, that's where liberty resides. So you're freed as a slave from the law to be a son of the house, not freed to give sin full reign in your life. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. It's not for sin that Christ set you free. We in Christ are no longer minors. You have been given the full rights of the oldest son. You're called to bear yourself accordingly. Act like a grown-up son. Because we didn't qualify ourselves. For this reason, Colossians 1, since the day I heard about you, I have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Verse 12, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. If you understand that God qualified you in Christ to share in the inheritance of the people of God, then you know that you don't have to worry about anybody else's opinions. Because if God qualified me, then I can't be disqualified by anyone else. The Father's will and Jesus' death and resurrection purchased for us an entryway into a great inheritance. And as their work was divine and eternal, it cannot be undone by temporary flesh. No one else can say to you, you don't qualify if you are in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you're hidden in Him. And then He has qualified you. And it's your job, the Bible says, to give joyful thanks to the Father. (laughs) The work of Jesus in accordance with the will and the plans of the Father has made a way that you are called to walk into. An inheritance you're invited to experience. It's available by the blood. Hebrews 9:15 For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed before under the first covenant The Bible says in Hebrews because he talks about this the death of Jesus was when God hit the That was like the timer. Boom. Inheritance is now available. Because when the death of the testator, the one who wrote the will, when his death was proven by the blood at the cross, God said, 
inheritances now. So that's why he writes and he says, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may now receive. Just before this, he's, he's gonna say uh, that there has been no one, none of those patriarchs of old, not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, any one of them received what God had actually promised them. They were still waiting for it. But the Bible says now that Jesus has died, you who have received the promise can receive. What are you waiting for? Can you dare to believe? I was at the School of Artillery in my military career. I went there, we were doing course, and I was one of the fortunate few when you get there, they, 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 they're trying to shake everybody up, and they did a massive inspection. You had to clean your rifle and clean your boots and clean your belt. And I had, um, my belt was so dirty the night before, fortunately I cleaned it because it was just, really looking shabby and I was one of the few whose belt was clean because that's where they get you if you, you know, everything else is clean. And so out of the 600, there were about four of us who didn't get punitive and so the rest of them were all out on the parade ground doing punitive stuff and, the, and they, so we, four of us, they go, what, do, what should we do? We can go to the officer's mess. So we walked into the officer's mess. First time. It felt awkward. There's a colonel in there and a major. Some captains, a couple of lieutenants. And we're just nothing. So you walk in and you salute and, and they go, yeah. And it's air conditioned. And there's cold drinks. And there's candy and stuff. And it felt so weird for me to be walking in. I felt like, should I be? Am I allowed in here? Come yeah, we're allowed in here. I'm like, wow. It felt weird. That's my picture of the church. Are we allowed in here? Are we, are we, can, I, can I put my head in here? This is the throne room. This is where the big shots hang out. Yeah. So the Bible says you should come boldly to the throne of grace so you can receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. Come with confidence. Why? Because you've been perfect? No, because you're hidden in Christ. And it's time for the church to start acting like you're hidden in Christ. Walk in. I'd like to order some grace, please. Boatloads of it. And some wisdom. And Father, give me some understanding about what's going on in the world. And could you speak to me? And Father, would you give breakthrough to my children? And could you protect them? And could you open doors for us? And could you show us a way? And you start to pray with a different fervor. You start to ask for things that you would never dare to ask for because you know you're not just that broken woman who's caught in the middle of adultery and humiliated. You're the person who's come 10 years beyond that who's been serving God and has grown and is thriving because you've been in Christ and you've been freed from all that old and you've stepped into the new. What profound blessing lies on the other side of us realizing we're in Christ. And there is nothing against you in heaven, just for you. Clothed in Jesus, we get to walk into the courts of heaven with confidence and we boldly approach God's throne to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and let's do, let's do that last song again. 
just because I think we need to declare something. So if the worship team is here, you can come. So I'm going to ask my question again. What are you daring to believe for? Is it enough for you that you've forgiven of your past sins? That currently you stand at peace with God? Can I suggest to you that there's so much more in God's heart for you than just that? Magnificent as it is. There is intimacy with God. There are the secrets of the heaven. There is an explosion of kindness and love. There's an experience of his nature. There's a celebration of his love with you. Because you are not the old you. You're hidden in Christ. And you can ask for wisdom to break into the circumstances you're in and you can take hold of the authority to banish sickness and resist evil and you can experience intimacy with Godhead and you can have access to revelation and knowledge and understanding that only the Holy Spirit gives. You can ask in Jesus' name for things that you know that you alone don't deserve but that Jesus earned and paid for. God said to Jesus in Psalm 2, ask of me. Ask me, son, I'll give you the nations. And you're in Christ. God wants to give nations to you. Paul says this. He says, all things are yours. And you're in Christ. And Christ is in God. He's trying to say, there just literally is no limit for you. There is no boundary for you in heaven. There is no limit where God says, no, you, you, <clears throat> you, you, you can't do that. You're in His Son, His beloved Son, in whom He's well pleased. And when you cling to Jesus and when you walk in a vital relationship with Jesus, He begins to mold something on the inside of you and profound things can happen in your life and through your life because you stay hidden in Christ.